Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. to another episode of Anfield Index Legends Podcast. My name is Joe. I am your host. And tonight we're going to talk all things Fernando Torres, El Nino. I have two awesome guests on tonight who are very, um, very accommodating for this because this is difficult, guys. I'm in America and the other two guys are nowhere near me and time difference is huge. So I'd like to introduce both of them. Leroy, you are my first guest. Leroy of... I name a specific pod, but he's on everything. You people probably know who he is. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> hey, Joe. It's been a while since we last talked on the podcast. So re- really excited. You know, you, you mentioned that you're from the you're in America now. I'm in Malaysia, and our other guests, which you introduce later, is in India. So this is like the global podcast again. Yeah, that's exactly right. That is the last time the three of us talked, actually. So speaking of my other guest, Shri in India. Um, he has just had two twins recently. Uh, doesn't sleep, but he is on this podcast. How you doing, buddy? Hey, man. Good morning or oh, good night for you almost. Yeah. <laughs> That's the beauty of this podcast. Doing good. Yeah, that is the beauty of this podcast. But again, these guys were really nice enough to come on. We must have bounced, I don't know, 50 different times off each other. Um, and this is what we came up with. So I hope everybody appreciates what we do and... I think you guys like this because I got two big Torres fans who probably know more than I do about him. So I wanted to start. Um, everybody knows Torres played for Liverpool, but he started his career in his youth ranks at Atletico Madrid. So I wanted to talk a little bit about his achievements. Um, we can talk later about his transfer to LFC. Um, Luis Garcia going the other way in that deal. So Leroy, tell me about his career at, at Atletico. Yeah, it's because when uh, Torres was at Atletico, um, that was a bit before I, I started watching football. But, you know, in hindsight, when, when I look through the, the videos, when I look through the interviews, the, the career path he's taken, I think that is just like the, 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 the dream story for any player who's a, a massive fan of, of that particular club. So he's a massive fan of, of Atletico Madrid. He's like their, their, their boyhood dream there. And, and, you know, I think Torres did really well from 
going from the, the youth ranks into the first team and, you know, being a captain so early for a club like Atletico Madrid. I mean, at the time, they weren't, they, they weren't as prestigious as they are now. But I think for, for that period of time, I think, you know, being the, the star player and the captain at, I think he was like, what, 20 years old? I think that is a massive achievement for someone like Torres. And I, I, I think that was what made him so popular is that, He's so young yet he's he's showing maturity levels beyond what you expect out of him. So I I, I think that was you know basically the story the the the, the summary of his career at at Atletico. But I think Sri can give you a better breakdown because I think that was that that will probably be the time where he he's you know maybe tracked the 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 career development of of Torres before he moved to Liverpool. Yeah, he he had a great 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 great. I mean, what youth ranks? I mean, he was a fantastic player. For Atletico Madrid, he was certainly well known around Europe. Um, Sri, you want to talk about more about his Atletico career? Yeah, actually, something not many people know is pre-Atletico. Actually, he played for a few of his local clubs. He actually started off as a goalkeeper, but uh, he moved on to becoming a striker because he was inspired by a Japanese anime character called. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. I hope uh, Captain Subasa. So that's that was his like you could say, very early days inspiration. And then he became a striker. And then he he actually, I think, joined Atletico when he was like 11 years old, I believe. If I remember correctly, around 95, 96 was the time he joined there. And then obviously the goals flowed. People kept track of him. And that's where his progress came in. He, he moved on to the senior team by 2001 and again started off well, kept scoring goals. And he was immediately in the limelight. The minute he was in the... First team he was being noted, he was being tracked. Scouts all over the world were tracking. There were very early bids in his career. In fact, 2002-2003 itself, uh, Roman in his first season wanted to buy Torres. So actually, Atletico rejected a bid for Torres. And he, he as Leroy said, he was a captain when he was 19. Not many clubs appoint. There's a boyhood hero aspect apart. Not many clubs have the guts to appoint a player who's 19 as captain. But... Torres was destined to be a, a big superstar. He was destined for big things. Yeah, he, he I guess like you said it perfectly. He was, I mean, everybody knew who he was. And he ends up coming to us, which is pretty amazing. 07 08 is his first uh, season at Liverpool. And my God, what a season, what a debut season. Shri, I'll, I'll stay with you. You can talk about his whole career, talk about anything you want at Liverpool. Make it as long as you want, pal, because as great as he was here, he wasn't here very long. Yeah, in fact, see, see, the point was, it's one of those rare occurrences where Liverpool had a clear space. You could say, we talk about it, even in transfer, there's a plan A, then the backup plan B, plan C. And uh, Rafa Benitez, he was known to be a manager who plans very well in advance. He's very specific with his needs. So actually, he drew up a huge list of targets. Actually, they had seven or eight targets in mind as as far as what I've read. And Torres was right on top of the list. So it was either we go all out for Torres. And if we don't get Torres, then we talk about a couple. I think it was Gilardino was one of those targets. I, mm-hmm. I don't seem to recollect other players. So Torres wasn't number one on the list. And uh, Chelsea had a huge bid. I think 22 or 23 million bid rejected. And mm-hmm. it was... Also, precisely because Torres didn't want to leave Atletico Madrid, it was a boyhood club. So, I was actually, because I followed a little bit of La Liga then, 
so I was quite surprised that Torres and the fee we paid was club record, but it wasn't as high as what Chelsea bid actually. We got him for around what 20.4, I believe, is the official figure. So 20 million was a number which was slightly less than what even Chelsea bid a couple of years back. But it was made possible because Atletico didn't want to stand in the way of Torres. Torres always was a hugely ambitious player. He always wanted to win things. And he's seen Liverpool won the Champions League in 2005. He's seen the team growing consistently. And he and the biggest thing, he identified himself with Liverpool, the way he identified himself with Atletico itself. So it was, I would say, a perfect symphony in terms of a player and the club having the same goals, having the same beliefs joined together. And as you said, four years, but that four years of Liverpool, I will never forget throughout my life. It was for all we didn't win, basically with Torres, what? We didn't win anything. But those four years are memories I will never, ever forget, though it was a trophyless period. Yeah, it's it's really a shame. It was always that that period was always, in my eyes, remembered for, you know, Torres was a great player, of course, but it was always Stevie G and like a Torres and a bunch of other guys, kind of, which I know sounds harsh on a lot of the players, but if a, just a little more was done, you're talking about a team that could have won Premier League titles, probably Champions League titles. Leroy, what do you think about his first season, his Liverpool career? Tell me your thoughts on Fernando Torres just in general. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, just just as a background, I mean, you you look at, I, I think Sri has mentioned this on another podcast as well, and that, you know, in India, a lot of people became Liverpool fans because of Michael Owen. I, I think that was the, the main reason why India has be, has a huge Liverpool fan base. You know, I think there are people like, you know, as, as we talk now, maybe in their uh, later tw- mid-20s to later 20s, if they are Liverpool fans, it's most likely because of either Steven Gerrard or Michael Owen, right? But for me, when, when I started watching, it was in the 07 season. That was when I started watching football. And I think for me and, and maybe um, the, the people just a bit younger than me, maybe three to four years younger than me, I think our, our idol, our, our striker idol would be Fernando Torres. We, we grew up watching Fernando Torres. We, we started watching football and, and in that process, we watched Fernando Torres, you know, just put on a, a, a great magnificent show on, on the pitch. And I think that combined with what Steven Gerrard does, you know, I, I think every Liverpool fan will love Steven Gerrard anyway. So I think those two were sort of that, that catalyst that, that pushed me to become a Liverpool fan. And, you know, Torres, especially in that first season, I remember my dad was saying that he's, uh, there was this new player that signed for Liverpool and against Chelsea at home, he's already scored, scored a great goal for, for Liverpool and, and, you know, that is a promising sign for, for many, many more things to come and that's definitely true. I, I think that season he, he equaled or I think break, uh, or broke uh, Van Roy's record for, for the first, for, for the foreigner who, you know, in the first season in the Premier League scoring the most goals. And I think that is, you know, just, just a sign of things to come. But when you move forward, you know, you look at the numbers, you know, you just look at the numbers. It, it doesn't seem like Torres was adding too much. You know, I, I think in the second season, the 08-09 season, he's got uh, something like 14 goals because of injury. He, he's been absent for, I believe, eight or nine games through injury. He had a tie problem. He had knee problems and things like that. So, in total, from 24 goals in the first season, he's only scored 14 in the next season. But, you know, in that 08-09 season where we pushed, and we pushed for the title but just fell short, you, you think 14 goals is not a lot. But if you look at the where the goals came from, that is what is most important, you know. 
Um, I, I believe he scored two against uh, Everton, and you know we 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 yeah. won that game two 0 He scored that that very very important goal against Manu. You know where where he shimmed. I believe it was Vidic, and then he he just slotted it past um Van der Sar. I think that was a very important goal. You know if that goal didn't go in, who knows how the game could have went out. You know we we won four one, but I think that goal was really really important. Uh, he scored two against Arsenal, where, where we drew four four. Uh, you know that that game where Arsenal have scored four goals. He scored two of it to to try and keep things really alive. And that Blackburn game, I mean, that was you know, he you know he scored that goal by by doing a weird one eighty turn and and scoring it to the far post. I think it was like thirty yards out, twenty five or thirty yards out. That would be my favorite Fernando Torres goal of all time. You know, I think that. That kind of season, you know, it shows the importance of Fernando Torres. He doesn't score a lot of goals, but whenever he does score, it's really, really important. It's either to equalize for a game or to to just score the goals to get us to win. I think that is a sign of, of a game changer. You know, many strikers can score 20 goals a season, no problem. But how many of them come in, in games where you win 5-0, 6-0 really, really easily? But Torres, when he does score, you know... Though that is really the important time, and it's time to to really clutch up and and really make your your chances count. I think that is what Torres is good for, and I think that helps him to help helped us to actually get that that second place finish. You know, we could, as you said, Joe, we could have finished first even, but because it was the the Gerard and and Torres show for that season, I think that was not enough for us to 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 push to finish. I mean, you know, I I say that Torres got fourteen goals, but we could have done with another striker who could add another 10 goals even and that would have been great for us you know whenever Torres was out through injury we had someone who could come in and uh, you know just contribute maybe another 10 more goals and I think that would be just enough for us to to get that first place finish but you know I, I think that's something that you know maybe Rafa Benitez would regret and I think that's something that us fans would, would regret not seeing as well. Yeah, they're great points. It always felt like there was just one player or two player missing. If they just want that extra mile, maybe we win more things. Now, sure, you did bring up a good point. We didn't, we didn't win much during that time. But, Leroy, I'll stick with you. Do you think – and I know he was injured here a lot. He only actually played 102 appearances for Liverpool. When you think about it, it's pretty crazy because of the injuries and the, you know, the, the falling out he had. But – do you think the teams, the 07, 08, 08, 09 teams underachieved at all, in your opinion? Um, you know, that, that's a really, really, really tough one. You know, I think in the 07, 08 season, that's when um, we have, I, I guess we're trying to transition into, into a new era, into a new period, into a new uh, squad of players. So I think that in that regard, to, to retain top four, I think that's fine. I, I, I think we, we've met expectations. I don't think anyone really expected us to, to challenge for the title yet. So I think that's fine. But in the 08-09 season, I think, you know, similar to what happened in 13-14, similar to what happened um, in, in the, this, this past season even, I think what happened is that we fell short against many of the quote-unquote smaller teams. You know, we we managed to beat Man U, uh, we, we did the double on, on Man United, you know, we drew against Arsenal, um, things like that. But I think the the problem, and I think we won against uh, both times against Chelsea as well. But the problem in the 08-09 season was we drew so many games. You know, we drew against Villa, we drew against uh, West Ham 0-0. I remember that game really well. Uh, we drew against Hull City 2-2. We drew against Fulham 0-0. I think those kind of games were, you know, even though you are still getting a point, but that extra two points lost, I think that counts for a lot, especially when you're at the top. You know, uh, Sri and I did a global podcast about. 
you know, when points matter and, and when you need to start defending and when you need to start attacking. But when you are challenging for the title and when you're trying to, uh, I, I guess, overtake each other at the top of the table, every single point counts. And, you know, a, the difference between a draw and a win is so massive compared to, you know, when you are, let's say, mid-table or just in, in the second half of the table where losing and a draw, that is what, you know, that one point is really important. But at the top, a draw and a win, you know, that one point versus a three-point uh getting that one or three points, I think that is really, really important. And drawing so many games, that allowed United to, to really, uh, you know, catch up and eventually overtake us. And that is, that is, that was the problem for us. And I think in that regard, you know, not being able to finish off these uh, smaller teams or even trying to get the lead against them, I think that that shows signs of underachievement. You know, we have great players, you know, Torres. We had uh, a, a really consistent third court there. We had... Gerard, who was you know just super really really massive that season, but we couldn't we we couldn't capitalize when we played against the quote unquote smaller teams. I think in that regard, we we have underachieved. Yeah, I actually agree with you, Leroy. Shri, do you agree with Leroy and myself, or do you see it a different way? Did they underachieve? Did they could they have done more? You could argue. See, the point was 2005 we had Istanbul, we had a victory. 2006 we had the cup win. 2007 again we had a run to the finals. But in terms of Premier League, we weren't even close then. So it was quite clear. Rafa, it, it was uh, labeled as though Rafa was great at knockouts, but when it was a week in week count grind, Rafa wasn't up to it. So it was quite clear he wanted the Premier League at any cost. And 2007-2008, we saw shifts towards literally attacking, going for the Premier League. But the but that was indeed the truth. Rafa was great at cup competition. He had one opponent in mind. He could he could literally dissect the opposition. Simplest game is the Juventus game. It's very commonly known as the game which points which people refer to when we talk about Rafa and tactics. 2005 Istanbul Juventus game. How we literally toyed with Juventus with the tactical shift. Like pre-game, we had a formation and then we changed it. Once kickoff happened. So, give him a single game, a single opponent. Rafa was like real outstanding world class. But the ability to keep grinding with his level of detailing approach, maybe it was just too much to ask for in the Premier League. And as Roy mentioned, and the problem is in 2016-17, we, we are still talking about talk, uh, dropping points to smaller teams. That's what is... It's not... It's a trend which has started ages ago and it's still there. So, I don't think we should even be spending time talking about dropping points to smaller teams. It's now become a decade now and we are still talking the same thing. So, unfortunately, that's the truth. And ability to literally define moments by single goal. Nobody even remembers Federico Maceda or Maceda or Maceda, how you want to call him. But his goal against Villa literally changed the course of the title run in 08-09. I think maybe Roy might remember that goal better that, than me. That goes to give me nightmares, you know. <laughs> if, if he, you know, of all people, it had to be that, that youngster, you know, that, that youngster. I believe it was his second game or his debut or something like that. And he had to be a really, really good goal as well, you know. He had to, you know, curl past Brad Friedel. I believe that was, he was still the goalkeeper at Aston Villa. He had to yep. just curl past him so beautifully into the far corner and he had to go in. That that goal broke my heart a bit, to be honest. <laughs> that that was, uh, for, me, for me, that was, you could say... A, as good as the Aguero moment in the when City won it. Because that, that goal literally defined how the title... We were dropping points. But that, that was the only game where literally uh, United looked like losing, you could say. And the ability, as Roy said, the ability not only from draw to win. United could 
convert a loss to a win and we didn't have the power we would go from a win to a draw while united would go from a loss to win so what are we looking at is basically liverpool dropping two but united gaining three so a shift of plus five for them and two such games let's say the run was over and that was the problem with liverpool they couldn't consistently do they couldn't treat every league game as a knockout game that that would be how i would summarize every game wasn't a knockout game for them so some games they were great some games they weren't and over a season that showed up and so for all the greatness of torres he's still one guy he's he is number 9 but he cannot literally be nine players on the field so for all his greatness there's only so much a guy can do and he was crocked by then he that literally 080907080809 was the glistening peak but he was starting to feel the ill effects and he had a couple of horrendous years after that i i would literally feel that it's better this guy doesn't play rather than seeing him play like that it was one of the darkest periods for me as a huge torres fan yeah it's all great points are made um and Joe, you know right, i, I well, think if i can just jump in really quick you know i think when when you look sure. at this 0809 season you know at least within my circle of friends at least within uh, the the people that i know cause at the time twitter wasn't a, a huge thing yet at least not for me you know everyone mentioned that arsenal 4-4 game that was the killer for us you know drawing that mm-hmm. game caused us to lose the title and then in 1314 you know everyone was speaking about that chelsea game i i think that you know and and that gerard slip unfortunately i think that was everyone like to highlight that those two moments as the as the reason why we uh i i think i think the the cornerstone of of why we failed to get the title but i think both seasons had the same issues you know we we draw against teams or lose against teams that we should be winning against you know i i believe in the 0809 season i think we lost to a smaller club it could be a middlesbrough or something like that middlesbrough or portsmouth i think we lost to either one of them uh this kind of game shouldn't happen i you know in 1314 we lost against hull for example you know again this kind of thing shouldn't happen and and I think for the last decade, you know, or you could even say since the last time we won a title, the problem with Liverpool has been consistency. But we haven't really seemed to uh, try to either add players or or to maybe you know bring players from the youth ranks to to add to that consistency. I I remember that 0809 season. I think midway through we were probably ready to bring in David Villa. You know, I I think things like that were were bound to happen sooner or later. But we didn't, and 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 ultimately we we had to. Focus all all our energy on Fernando Torres, and you know, given his injury problems, as we said, it, it became impossible. And I think in the nine ten season, you know, I think that was when Gerard was out for the longest period of time. Uh, Torres had to had to pick up the pieces, but even then, he still got injuries here and there. I think that was the season where his knee really 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 acted up, and we had to fall on we had to put all our hopes on on David and go i think that that was the problem with us you know we we didn't have a fernando torres like player that we could you know may, maybe bounce off to if if let's say torres wasn't available you know it could have been torres and via and, and and i think that 0910 season could have been the season where we pushed for the title again but you know we went from torres to ngo and that was the problem for for us and and even now there are some shades of that you know there are some signs of that here and there but I I think we can all agree that it's been a little bit better since then. Yeah, and and sure you brought up the point like still having the same issue types like you're talking about David Engog and it's we could have had somebody other than him who who is nowhere near the talent of Fernando Torres and you know maybe if the ownership did it a little bit more maybe we're talking maybe we're having a different conversation right now and I hope that's changing it seems to be this summer which again is 
what, 10 years later, maybe we're finally getting this right. But now we're going to get to the point of the pod where we don't want to discuss, but we have to. So after Torres's glorious time at Liverpool, it, it, it comes to an end. It doesn't come to an end nicely. And there's always conflicting reports depending on who you ask. Um, do you blame Torres? Do you blame Hodgson? Do you blame Hicks and Gillette? Yada, yada, yada. But no matter who you blame, he goes to Chelsea in January 11. Out of all fucking teams, he has to go there. Guys, I'll start with Shri. I'll come back to you and start with you. Do your feelings at the time of it when it happened, and are those feelings different now? Have you forgiven him? Did you ever blame him? To be fair, I think I've said in a lot of pods, 2011 January transfer window was the last time I actually loved a footballer. For all the greatness and all the magic of Suarez, Suarez wasn't Torres for me, and I blame Torres for that. It's because of that move was the only reason why I never loved Suarez. I'm not saying he wasn't a great player. He was, he was, in fact, you could say one of the top three attacking players you have ever seen on the pitch of Anfield. But I never loved him. And that was because of Torres. Actually, there was a three, four months period where I literally stopped watching football. And that is the only time in my Liverpool following career where I actually didn't look forward to seeing Liverpool play. And as I told before in the pod, Chelsea had bid for him in like 2003 itself. And you, you could say, why did he go to Chelsea? But nobody was prepared to stump up the price, what Liverpool wanted. You, Joe, think reasonably. At that period of time, with his injury background and a clear vein in form, would you blame Liverpool accepting 50 million? Would anybody even bid anything more than 30 million? Leave alone 50 million. 30 no. million tops tops yeah. was the price you could even dream of. And that was only... It's almost like Daniel Sturridge, we are asking 30 million. Why? It's because of his record when he is fit. Torres was a bit like that. When he is fit, he's outstanding. Imagine he was clearly down. Douglas comes in. He plays against Chelsea. Scores two goals. The cynic in us said he's auditioning for Chelsea. But the real fans were like, this is what he can do on his day. He can literally make defenders look like schoolboys. And that that was the whole trend toward, throughout his Liverpool career. Name any type of goal he scored that. Volley, dipping volley, the Blackburn goal, he said. The goal against Marseille, where he would literally beat defenders inside their own box, beat a couple of them, score. Uh, not make the defender, not make the goalkeeper, dink the goalkeeper. The goal which uh, Leroy mentioned against United. Have, nobody has ever seen Vidic like that. And Vidic, no, it was literally, it, it was Vidic, he was Vidic's nightmare. Every game he would torture Vidic like anything. That game, it was not about beating Vidic. He got Vidic, but Van der Sar is great at one-on-ones because he's, he has this huge frame coupled with agility and flexibility. So, he waited till the last second. He was waiting to see whether Van der Sar would stay upright or would he go down and cover the angle. He went down, he dinked it over. Any type of goal, Torres would go. And the money Chelsea paid was for his ability, not considering the fitness. So you couldn't blame Liverpool accepting 50 million. The problem was making it sound like Torres wanted to leave rather than they wanted to sell. And therein lies the crux. Did Torres asked for the move or Liverpool just decided the price was too good to be true and 
we need to move on. And that was the time when FSG had just come and they wanted to build with younger players. So it was a question of Torres still hadn't won anything. Let's let's not forget for us all his greatness. It was 2010. They had he won the Euro and they have won the World Cup. So in as he was a national hero, there was no doubts about that. But at club level, Atletico didn't give him much. Liverpool didn't give him much. He wanted to win things. He said it always. He wanted to win Champions League. He wanted league medals. Chelsea were good at that time. You could be assured of winning something at least. You don't know what they would win, but you could win. But one, Liverpool fans hated Chelsea because of the uh, the total contradiction in terms of philosophies of building sides and how to go about winning things. So the move to Chelsea literally hurt. One, it was unknown then people selling for such huge money within the league, the money floor and... I think the move of Torres also hurt because we spent 35 million on Andy Carroll. There is no yeah. debating the fact. If you, if you had bought, say, who, who can I... Even 2010, it wasn't late with David Villar. So, just going off an example, Leroy quoted, you spent 30 million on David Villar. Would we have looked differently on the Torres deal? Maybe. And therein lies the one, where he went. Two, made it sound like he wanted to move. And three, spending 35 million of that money on Andy Carroll, who was crocked again. I think all these put together made it look like left a literally a sour taste in the mouth. But did I forgive him? Absolutely. For see, uh, Joe, just to go off football, you like someone you are great friends with. They make a huge mistake. You fight. You you don't talk for a year, but they don't stop becoming your friend, right? It's almost like that. Of course not. For me, it's Taurus. After a couple of years, and once, especially once he moved to Milan, because I was a huge Saria fan, so I was very interested to see what he does at Milan. Then, obviously, Atletico Madrid. And there was no one happier than me when he came back to Anfield to play, make that guest appearance. There was no one happier than me. I, in fact, wrote an article on Anfield. I told Gags, Torres is back at Anfield. I'm writing. You want this article or not, I'm writing it. And that's, <laughs> that's how much Torres means to me. I know it's a legends podcast and he might not essentially be a legend, but at least in my eyes, he is. Though he's one of the, it's almost like you could, I would be, you could laugh thinking that I'm like an Everton fan. The club is a success without winning anything. It's, it's the same story for Torres. But what he meant to Liverpool, how he identified himself with Liverpool and just the sheer ability of the man. You could say he was the most pure striker Liverpool have had after Ian Rush. Robbie Fowler, oh, Ian Rush, yeah. and Torres. The ability for... Because the song, the cop song, itself says he's got the ball in his scores again. That was it. Give him the ball, the man will score. He will find ways to score. And that was the greatness of the man. Yeah, and that's... I actually agree with that. Most people would not. And my retort to that is always, what's the difference between what he did and what Luis Suarez tried to do and frankly, should have been allowed to, but was somehow blocked, um, even though Arsenal did bid for him. I mean, he tried to get out of the club, but I still see, which makes me puke a little bit in my mouth, people still talk about Luis Suarez like he's been a player at Liverpool. Um, and don't get me wrong, I love Luis Suarez, just like I love El Nino. But there was no difference in my eyes what they did. So, Leroy, how do you feel about that whole thing? Yeah, that fiasco was just crazy, right? I mean... Um, I, I've been hearing about 
Owen moving to Real Madrid and how that was a betrayal and you know you add that with you know how he went to United that was the the final nail in the coffin for sure and and it, it seems very similar to this Torres move you know Torres was leaving Liverpool to Chelsea which I know to a lot of Liverpool fans Chelsea is like the bane of their existence so that is you know one year in the coffin but I think what hurt the most is that he moved very very suddenly you know he even handed in a transfer request and I think that was the the, the the main catalyst to why he was able to push the the move to, to Chelsea. And I think what was even worse is that he's moving to Chelsea not because of anything other than that he doesn't feel like Liverpool's gonna win anything. And when one of your best players, you know, easily perhaps at the time the second best player at a, at your club, if if they don't feel that the club can win anything in the near future, then as a fan you definitely feel a bit, you know, a, a bit demotivated, a, a, a bit down you could say. So that was really, really difficult. And you top that off with what we said, you know, we spent 35 million on Andy Carroll. Definitely something that we shouldn't have done. But I think we've done well to remediate that and, and I guess uh, recoup at least a majority of, of that money back. So I think I'm, I'm not too worried about that. And I think what was even worse is that I believe it was that same transfer window where Aguero moved for 30 million. You know, if, if we replace Torres with Aguero, I think we will be in, in a really, really good spot, but we didn't. We we replaced um, Torres with Andy Carroll, and I think that was really, really hurt, hurtful as well. That was really, really hard to see as well. And yeah, as we said, you know, I think since he moved to Chelsea, and, and you know, especially in that one or two seasons, Gerard was absent, Gerard wasn't able to, to, to play so much due to injury and things like that. I think that was the season where I started to watch football in a different light. You know, I, I wasn't watching for the enjoyable goals for the for the crazy moments, for the, for the magical moments and things like that. I was watching it just just because it was a routine already. You know, I'm, I'm already used to watching football, so I, I just had to watch it. You know, I, I think that's just what happens. And that's where I slowly got into the tactical side of it and, and things like that. But that first three seasons, as, as we said, you know, Torres is going to be my Owen. You know, while, while Owen was the player that got many people to watch Liverpool, Torres is going to be that player for me. And, you know, while Suarez is definitely a hundred percent a better overall football player than than Torres but in my eyes I think Torres is still going to be the most complete striker that that I would you know enjoy watching the most sure you got your your Lewandowski's now you have Lukaku now who's, who's pushing for the title you have Diego Costa now but Torres is going to be that that benchmark for me you know like like how Chelsea look at Drogba as their their uh, the centerpiece to, to why they were so successful I think Torres is sort of that player for me, you know, that striker, that complete striker who can do anything. He can hold off players, he can make those, he's fast enough to make those runs and, and get into one-on-one -on -one positions. He can create his own chances and I think that is what's most important, you know. Andy Carroll couldn't create his own chances. You can say that Peter Crouch couldn't, couldn't create his own chances and things like that. But Torres and, and Suarez, those two were the only strikers that I see that can create their own chances alongside someone like Daniel Sturridge, you know, while Daniel Sturridge might need a bit more help but I think only Torres and, and Suarez can really take the game uh, you know and, and, and control it and, and change it on their own and I think that is what made them so special and you know the move to Chelsea was really really difficult but the funny thing is that I believe it was his debut game for for Chelsea and, and he played against Liverpool in fact you know playing against the old club and lost 1-0 you know I think that was a, a big slap to the face to Torres you know hey you move to a club and, and you know we, we beat the club that you think has had the better chance to, to win titles and things like that. And I think that was a big slap, slap to the face to Torres. And 
I think that set the tone for the rest of the, the, the future seasons for him, you know. Never really recovered from that knee injury really well. Uh, didn't perform at Chelsea as how many expected him to. I think he was still there when, when Benitez was, you know, the, the temporary manager there as well. And even Benitez couldn't get him to play as, as, as great as he did at Liverpool. So, you know, I, I think that 08-09 season and maybe you could say the 9-10 season, that was the 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 peak season for, for Torres and he peaked maybe a bit too early, but... I think moving forward, he, he got what he wanted. He got the Premier League medal at Chelsea, and I think he got the Champions League medal at Chelsea as well. So, you know, if, if winning is what he wanted, then I, I think he that, that risk got fulfilled for sure. Great point, Saeed. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the nail, the nail on the head right at the end there when you said he got what he wanted. He got both of them. You're absolutely correct. Sure, you wanted to make another point? Yeah, uh, let's not also forget that that was the period when Liverpool were being taken over by FSG. So there was huge confusions off the field as well. And as a takeover deal, you would obviously want to get the premium you want. And you, how do you value the club more when you retain your best players? Liverpool promptly went and sold Javier Mascherano. Yeah. Again, yep. Mascherano was, you could say in a microcosm, was something like Torres. He was promised something. We reneged on it. He wanted to leave. We agreed. Then we again reneged. He... He striked, he was dropped because we made it sound like he wouldn't play. Again, in a mini sense, you could say Masharano became looked upon as a traitor. But we are talking about a single game and he obviously went out of the league. But it was the same. You could say if Torres didn't believe in the club and left the club when the club needed him most, Masharano did the same. But we don't consider Mascherano in any light similar to how Torres was. Because one Mascherano left for Barcelona and maybe strikers are obviously looked upon more dearly than you could see a uh, destroying midfielder. But we are talking about players who were promised things and we did the absolute opposite. We were promised newer players, good players, and we obviously promptly went and sold our best players. We didn't reinvest properly. And then, uh, uh, actually, Torres, I don't know if... How many of us have read that in a book called Ring of Fire by Simon Hughes? There's a chapter exclusively devoted to Taurus. And Taurus presents his side of the story. And it's up to us to believe whether he still says the truth. He's been maintaining his stance. Okay, he didn't. There were a couple of years initially after the move where he said, I don't want to. It's not the right time yet to give my side of the story. Because it was obvious people wouldn't believe it. It's not new for the press and the club to leak news to present their side of the story favorably. It happens still now. Like Virgil van Dijk, hello. It still happened. So, obviously, he felt that wasn't the time people wouldn't be... I think the most most plausible reason why he didn't present his side of story was he, he thought it was still too raw or still too new that people wouldn't believe him. People would believe just he's just defending himself. Just fair, obviously, as a player, he needs to defend his case. But considering our recent history, then we sold Mascherano, a lot of things were promised, nothing on the field happened. We appointed Roy Hodgson, glorious six months, packs off, Kenny comes in, and we get a new sporting director in the form of Deming Kamoli. He talks about meeting Kamoli, and Kamoli says to him that we have a new strategy in men, we want to buy young players. And Torres says he thought that. Okay, this is fair idea. We get it. I get it. But I'm. He was 27 then. He's like, if you are building a new squad with young players, I'm looking at three, four years, at least, till we win something. 
Nothing is guaranteed. Two years, three years, ten years. Nothing is guaranteed. He says, I'm not won anything as a player and I'm 27 yet. Can he afford to wait, say, till 31? And what if he doesn't succeed till 31? It will be too, too late for him to go anywhere then. And imagine, uh, again, analogy of football, you are at the best years of your working career and you get a move where you literally get a huge promotion and you get to achieve things maybe you haven't achieved at the current organization. Any of us would move. It's, it's logical. It's how human, humans work. It's the tendency of any human being. So he says that one, previous promises were not kept. Now he wanted to give the new ownership of chance, But he keeps saying one thing that there was nowhere he was assured that they wanted him to stay. Nobody told him, we want you here, we want you to play for us. And he, that was a bit of a statement he keeps saying throughout the chapter that it was almost like Liverpool were prepared to sell provided they got alternatives and they got a great fee. So they wanted him only if one of these two things didn't happen. But if Liverpool did get a good fee and they could reinvest, there was nothing stopping him. And he felt that Okay, maybe they didn't value me that much as the previous ownership or when Peter Morse was there when they didn't value me that much. So the, I think all of these things together put together, you could say it is justified that he moved. Maybe not in January 2011, you wouldn't say that, but it's perfectly fine to understand. Fans, we are emotional. Why do we like Torres? We we value Kenny Douglas, we value Rush. They've all won so many trophies. We are talking people who have won 20, 25 trophies. And we are talking about the same guy on a Legends podcast who didn't win anything with Liverpool. How does he even get, get a show on AI Legends? Because people connected with him. They felt that he was one amongst us. He was a scouser. Like how we say Lucas Leva is a scouser. In three, four years, he understood the city. He got what the city was. He understood the fans. He was one amongst the fans. And that's why it hurt us so much. Because one amongst us was leaving us. Yeah, it's so important for people to realize, too, who are new to the game and, and didn't watch Torres live or couldn't see any of his live games, is that he really was a scouser. You know, like that. And then him leaving us would really dagger in the heart. And then out of all clubs, he had to go there. You know, a plastic club, which is, has no history is a fake club. It, it, it hurts. Um, and before we move on, I do want to, it was my mess up it, with Chelsea. He won the FA cup Europa league and champions league. I don't, you know, he did not, I don't believe he won a premier league medal, but he certainly did win um, with the ultimate prize with the champions league. So normally when I do these, I don't talk about international career because I'm not a huge fan of bringing that up, but I feel I'd be remiss if I don't bring up that Spain golden error. Um, you know, he won a lot of under 16, under 19 championships, but you know, they won the world cup in 2010. They won the Europa or the, you know, the other uh, Euro, the Euro, excuse me, in 08 and 012. So this is a team that won everything. So this is kind of a two part question. You guys can answer how you want. Leroy, talk about, Torres's time there and how and was he just as great of a player as he was at Liverpool there I know it's a different system and I know it's hard to compare so that's a tough question but the bigger one I wanted to ask is is that Spain team an all-time great one do they compare with any all the other all-time great teams of uh, you know like your your France's your Germany's your Brazil's what's your what's your thoughts on that 
I, I, I think this Spain team is really, really weird to um, dissect, you know. I think when you look at that 08, uh, I, I think it was the Euro 2008 squad. I think what you got there was a, a, a team of players were, which were still developing, you know, not really at hitting their peak yet. You know, you look at Xavi, you look at Iniesta. At the time, they were really good, but they weren't really hitting their peak yet. And, and then you look at, you know, something like Fabregas, who's, who's also really good. Uh, Xavi Alonso was, was pretty good as well. But I think that team was, uh, you know, just overachieving beyond levels that, that you would expect. You know, you look at that, you just look at that backline and, and you don't really see much stars. You know, you look at the Spain squad uh, in, in recent years, you know, you've got Jordi Alba, a really good right, uh, left back. Uh, you have Pique, you have Ramos, and you have, uh, you know, these kind of players around that are really established, really, really good, and, and they're already hitting their peak. But when you look at the, the, the squad at that time, you know, in 2008, they weren't really uh, solid fully developed players yet, you know, they, they were still developing, not hitting their peak yet, but but yet, you know, they still managed to win the Euros, and I think that is a testament to how much they've overachieved, you know, not to say that they aren't talented players, but at least during that time, you could see that there is a case to be made where uh, they've, they've just overperformed everyone else, and, and even beyond their own expectations, and I think you can also link that to, to, their, to their coaching and, and things like that, and I think in, in Euros, they didn't drop a single game, I think they won all games throughout the whole competition. I think that is a, a great sight to see and Torres is definitely a big part of it, you know. He scored the winning goal against Germany and Germany at the time was one of the favourites as well. So I think, you know, speaking about Torres in, in isolation, he scored two goals in that in that 2008 uh, Euros, but I, I think as a whole, you know, you mentioned that, that Torres is just someone who, you know, like the bane of, of uh, Vidic's existence, you know. I think whenever you play Torres up top, it forces defenders to be a bit wary of him. Defenders can't push up as much as how, you know, like now how we see centre-backs push up with the ball and, and try to maraud uh, up towards the pitch. But at that time, when you have a really good striker like like a Drogba, like a Torres, like a Van Persie, you have you you sort of have that, that mental game going on, you know. Are centre-backs allowed to push up a bit more or, or should they stay back a little bit to, to make sure that, that these strikers are kept in check? You know, I think there is a case to be made where Torres is that kind of player, you know, he's just really, really lethal enough in, in the sense that if you if you even be a bit complacent for that one second, that one through ball coming in could lead to a goal being scored by, by that particular striker. So I think Torres brought that sort of level of, um, you could say, that mental aspect to the game for, for that Spain squad. And I think, you know, moving on to that World Cup did really well as well in uh, 2012 Euros. Still, while he wasn't having a good season at Chelsea, he had a pretty good... Um, international uh, showing at, at Euro 2012. So I think as a whole, you can say that Torres was both a, a, a club player and a, and a country player. You know, a lot of people were uh, you know, giving smack to, to Messi on that, you know, being really good at a club level, but, but not really performing at, at international level. And, you know, even though that is it's pretty BS, but, you know, that is the mantra going on. I think Torres is someone who is able to perform relatively well for both club and country. And I think that is what made him such a great player. And, you know, even for for at, at the international level, we saw what he could do when uh, there's him and the David Villa in the same squad. And, you know, I think that was, you know, that is why everyone has been craving for David Villa, you know, craving for that for that signing to happen. But ultimately, it, it didn't. And, yeah, I, I, I think that is something that all fans wanted to see at some point in, 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 in that Liverpool uh, side, you know, especially that... that 9-0-10 season, I think that was when we definitely needed a, a David Villa type striker to complement Torres. And I think we almost got that with Suarez, you know, if, if Torres was 
willing to stay another half a season we could have seen that that partnership happen but i, I think that's something that that we should just you know put it aside and, and not remember too much yeah you just gave me the ultimate gut punch the gut punch there <laughs> leroy thank you that one still think of that and it never happened and that's i know his chelsea career went down the tubes and that david via points great he is such a fantastic i mean still a fantastic player in the mls which which is the MLS, but what a player he was. Um, and I think I think you look at when you look at um, Torres, you know, complete striker. He's not really a target man, not really a, a speedster like Owen, but he can do everything and anything uh, on the pitch in terms of that that striker's position. And then you look at Villa and you look at Suarez, both uh, you could you could classify them as strikers, but they are they're just an anything player. You know, they can play on the wing, they can they can drop deeper down the pitch and and, and play through balls and and play like a number ten. They can even play up top and, and play as a lone striker and be really, really good as well. So I think when, when you look at what Suarez brought to the table alongside Starich, you know, Starich is sort of like, you can compare Starich to Torres in, in certain ways. So I think when you comp- when, when you think about it, you know, if we had Torres and Suarez or Torres and a VR type player, imagine what we could have done on the pitch. I, I think that would be crazy to see. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, that would have been something special, so... Mm-hmm. Shri, same question to you about the Spanish national team and uh, Torres' role. You could say 2008 was, you could say, his glorious bit when it comes to international. This is just my personal opinion. I love the 2008 side. The 2010 side was greater, but I didn't enjoy watching them. So therein lies the difference for me when it comes to Spanish teams. And let's remember, let's talk 2010 uh, a bit more. Pre-World Cup in April, he decides to cut short his Premier League campaign. He had a surgery in April 2010 because he wanted he wanted that he he knew the campaign wasn't going anywhere anyway with respect to Liverpool. So he decided to cut cuts his uh, season short, has a surgery so that he's fit for the World Cup. There were questions whether he should be picked, and then he, Vincent Del Bosque obviously goes and picks him. But in 2010, he wasn't first choice. I in fact remember there was a piece on The Guardian. I don't know how many of us recollect in 2010. Uh, Sid Lowe writes, and it, it was startling to read. He said that basically Taurus is Spain's Emil Heskey. And that's what he he wrote in 2010. And it's... so, Yeah, that was my reaction too. <laughs> and, but he goes on to explain why. And Taurus, he, Taurus hadn't scored in a World Cup till then. And he didn't score in the qualification either, while SK at least scored. But uh, when it was put him, Torres himself said, "I'm David Villa is the goal scorer. I'm not the goal scorer. People shouldn't expect me to score. If I was 17 and I didn't score, I would feel bad, but not now. And it, people attributed lots of things to him, whether is he trying to take the pressure off himself. But Vincent Del Bosque and others also said the fact that he's now in the team playing a different like how Heskey was. I remember Holier came out with one of the interviews when Heskey didn't score that how important was the team, how he was important to towards the balance in terms of creating and assisting goals. And that was the role literally penciled in for Torres. He wasn't started. In fact, he came on the 2010 final very late on in extra time only. But 2008, he scored the winning goal. Obviously, if you score the winning goal, which wins the first trophy for your country after ages... There's no debating he's a national hero in Spain now because of just because of the goal he scored, as Lira said, against Germany in the 2008 final. 2010, he was a really big part player, and because he wasn't fit, it, it, 
uh, Sidlow in that article almost goes on to say 2010 was like preseason for him. He hadn't started in three months. Then he gets gets a game against Honduras. Then he plays against Chile. And Bo- Del Bosque himself says he was subpar uh, in the group stages. And then David Villa obviously uh, and they play. 2010 was the the peak four to three when we are talking about. So there's obviously Villa alone play, playing up front. Torres just doesn't get a chance. So 2010 a great side, but literally no contribution from Torres. So 2008. For me, is the career highlight for me when it comes to Spain. But Emil Heskey of Spain, don't forget that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something else. So, all right. Before we get to the quiz, um, Sri, I'll I'll stick with you and tell me. You, everybody has to, but your favorite games or any any goals or anything, your favorite standout moments, I'll say, for from Torres's career. We'll just we'll stick with Liverpool. Hmm. The first goal against Chelsea, huge money signing, 20 million signing of a player from abroad coming in, statement signing, scores on goes and scores against Chelsea, great moment. Personally, the best goal is what Lira has said. With there's nothing topping Blackburn. The ridiculousness of that goal. I mean, he receives the ball. He has no rights to score the goal. He lets the ball dip above his left shoulder. You could say it's almost like if you remember the Jose Enrique Suarez combination where the ball literally dips from above okay. the left shoulder of the striker. It's just that uh, Suarez is on. You could say when he's attacking the goal, he's on the right side of the goalkeeper. This is just that uh, Torres is on the left edge of the box. He lets the ball dip, and the ball by dipping literally goes away from the goal because the ball is coming off his left shoulder, and then he hits the ball first time after the ball bounces. Hitting a wall if on the full is tough, but isn't as tough as hitting the ball on the bounce because once the ball has bounced, you have to judge how high the ball is going, and he hits it first time, rocket into the top corner. Nothing like that goal. Goal against Marseille, goal against Inter Milan. What goal? Nemanja Vidić. We have talked the goal against United, and for some funny reasons, the two goals he scores against Chelsea in the literally the last goals. At, At Liverpool, that almost showed like he wanted to stay, keep me here, and it also showed that when he wanted to turn up, there was no one like Torres. Even a crock Torres was great; he could kill Chelsea single-handedly. Finally, those two goals had to be remembered because it was his last goals at the club. Leroy, same question to you. Yeah, I, th- I think Sri has stolen a lot of my picks, but I'll just repeat them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I, I think definitely that goal against Blackburn. You know, I, I think. The comparison to that Suarez goal against uh, Newcastle, uh, I think it was against Newcastle, right? I I think it was the one where uh, Enrique gave the, the I think the half field sort of assist. I think yeah, I think that yeah, was it was goal, Newcastle. I think yeah, I think that's very interesting. Now that I think about it, I think that can be the the you can say the moment that highlights the difference between Torres and Suarez. You know, Torres gets the ball. I think it was a, he he uses his chest to control it and then just fires it into the far post. I think that shows the clinicality of. Or someone like Torres, you know, just how how great he can be in in scoring goals. And then when you look at Suarez, he controls the ball, you know, push uh, pushes it be, uh, to the side of the keeper, you know, gets an open goal and and scores it. I think that shows the the I say the flexibility or the versatility of someone like Suarez. I think that goal you can use those two goals as as like the 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 comparison between what type of strikers, what type of players, you know, Suarez and Torres are. 
I think I think that Black Bengal is just amazing. Right? I think I've not seen a, a a better control and volley since then. You know, I, th- I think that's really really good. Um, I I think the other one was I think this I think Sri also mentioned this that that um the the away game against Marseille. If you want to talk about players gliding with the ball, I think that goal is the one that you need to watch. You know, he gets the ball just you know a a, a bit. Not really. He's still in the box, but you know, a bit further from goal than 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 needed. He just glides past two players and, and finishes it into the far corner. I think that is also a a show of how how versatile Torres can be. Can just do anything on the pitch. I think another one. This is a bit funnier, but I believe it was against Birmingham, and this was the game where Rafa sub uh you know substituted Torres off and he needed needed a goal and Gerard just gave that that what what the f face. You know, I think that was a a really really funny. Really, really great moment to see as well, and I think the fourth one, I swear, it's it's still Liverpool related. It's when Daniel Agger gave Torres the the elbow. I think that was a an, another oh, great sight to see. I think, you know, wow, I love Torres, but I also love Agger as well. And you know, Torres having just moved to Chelsea to get an elbow from Daniel Agger, I can't complain to be honest. Yeah, and it was probably a much-deserved elbow, and I, mm-hmm. I, there's probably not a Liverpool fan on earth who didn't love that when he did it. So, all right, boys, let's get to the all-important quiz. Let's see who – and you guys can do this either way. You can play against each other, or you can do it as a team. It's really up to you. Um, I think you'll probably smash we, this, but – No, we have played against each other. It wasn't good. We have done it once before. <laughs> Later, I might recollect that. <laughs> I do, I do. But you know, I'm, right, so... I'm done being on your side, three, so I'm going against you. <laughs> All right, I like that. I like the competitiveness. And it's whoever I hear first. It doesn't mean I have to buzz in or anything. So first question is, against which team did Fernando Torres make his Liverpool debut? Chelsea. Mm-mm. Was that right or wrong? No, I was that was wrong. He scored his okay, debut yeah. goal. Oh yeah, Jackson. yeah, that was a scoring I, I, I can debut. answer now. Aston Villa. Yes, Aston Villa is right. correct. Mm-hmm. That is correct. Second question is a two-part question. This is a little tougher. Which team did he score the most Premier League goals against? That's... In his career, obviously. There's a part of me that wants to say Chelsea, because I can just remember well, that, our goals that he scored against Chelsea, right? That that if that the, you know, that part of you is correct, my friend, it mm. is Chelsea. And, and the second part of that, which team did he score the least against? You can have two. You can have two different answers for this if you want to, because he. I'll give you the amount of goals. It was one goal against uh, two Premier League teams. Ah, I see. Okay. He's got so to be one of the lower he... sides, right? That's okay. What's uh, that? I'm going to guess one is Birmingham. Mm, no. I don't recollect him scoring more than one against them. I can tell you what I have. You might be right, but <laughs> I have. He's, he's, got, well, he's got one goal each against Newcastle and West Brom. I won't dispute that. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I it's, it's, it's a bit of a tough question. I was All thinking right. either Wigan or Portsmouth or both. That you know those kind of teams. But yeah, I, th- I think you know you you say Newcastle. I was just Roma. going. I was just going for teams who literally get relegated immediately once they are back, so that you would have faced them less. <laughs> All right. Who was who against which team was his last goal for Liverpool? Chelsea. 
Last goal. Last goal. I don't oh. think it was Chelsea. It was not Chelsea. No, it was not Chelsea. Uh, I know, I, I know, I know. I remember. I remember. Sorry. It was the next game, Wolverhampton. Yes, it was the Wolves. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> we scored. Right, so... I think Raul Morales scored in that game too, I think. Yes, yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually won that one. So, <laughs> so all right, after his first season, the 07-08 season, um, he finished with, I can't remember the goal total. He finished tied for goals. second, 24 goals. Thank you. He finished tied for second with Emmanuel Adebayor. Yep. Who finished first? Cristiano Ronaldo. In the pr- Cristiano. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> that you season was okay. Ball. Yeah, I mean, this was about Torres, but you know, that season for Cristiano Ronaldo was just crazy, right? The T over goal. Oh, yes, yeah. As a winner, yeah, it was unreal. That that is unreal. I mean, with in terms of numbers, I think Suarez is the closest to that. You know, you could say that Van Persie at, at one point, but yeah. I think that one for for you know, at, at least at the time he was a winger, a wide player, a wide forward. You could say thirty something goals is just crazy. It's unreal. So there's a second part to that question. And Leroy just destroyed the first part. So let's go to the second. <laughs> so the most, the most goals in the Premier League, they call that the golden boot, as you guys know. Mm-hmm. Who has the most golden boots ever? That's a tough one. It, it is. It's, you guys definitely know this player. It's not somebody who's random, obviously. Part of me wants to say Alan Shearer I've, I've, for, for some reason. But... That's, a, that's a good shout, but that, isn't, that is not right. But that is a good shot. That's a very good shot, actually. It is in Bubba. Who's been there for ages? <laughs> Can't. I would, I would think, but I don't know how many is gone. In recent years, I, the only name I could come up with is actually Aguero. But I don't know if he's won that much. It's because not. he's also injured. Nope. It's not. I'll, I'll, if you guys, you guys can give you hints. This, this player mm-hmm. has, won, has won four. That's the that's the that's the most. He has four. Yes, four. Four total Golden Boot awards. I'm thinking, you know, my first shot was Alan Shearer because you know he's just one of the greatest strikers in the Premier League, and I think mm-hmm. alongside him, you could say it could be Thierry Henry. So I'm just gonna go with Thierry. Boom! Henry. There it is, Thierry Henry. <laughs> Yes. Stepping up to the plate. There it is. I don't know. I don't, I don't know who's winning this. I hope you guys are keeping. <laughs> so, actually, I think Leroy might be winning this. I don't for know. Right it's a now. friendly competition. So, you know, everyone's a winner. There here. is no, no <laughs> such thing as a friendly competition. <laughs> so. Right. so, we have a few. We have a few left. What is the highest ranking he's ever finished in the Boulogne Dior? Third. Bam. Nice one. Yeah, and for extra credit, either of you guys, can you tell me what year that was? Two thousand nine was it? Because it was the year of Messi won, I believe. You're so damn close. Two thousand eight. I'm gonna say two thousand eight. <laughs> two thousand eight. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Obviously, the Euros was in two thousand. The Euros. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, so. All right, I mean, you know, you get men of the match for that uh, Euros finals, I believe, right? So I think. Yeah. Yes. That that is definitely gonna push you to get high a higher ranking, but I don't think you can you can out someone like Messi for sure. Yeah, no, it's 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 a bit difficult. So, how many total goals in all competitions did he score for Liverpool? Sixty-two or something like that, I think. Premier League or all competitions? Okay. All competitions. 
So for Liverpool alone, just Liverpool. I'm guessing it's gonna be closer to the eighty mark. I'm gonna say eighty. I that is pretty incredible. It's eighty-one. Oh. So that that's yeah, some stats in sixty though must be Premier League goals alone then. Yeah, probably. If you're looking at Wikipedia or something like that, I think they just do Premier League. But all competitions, he had 81 goals and 142 appearances, which, again, put that into perspective. That is incredible. Less than one and two. It's, it's unreal. Yeah, that's, that's good even, math. For people even, who aren't listening, that's good math. <laughs> even in Premier League, he has six. Uh, I'm just looking up Premier League. He has 65 in one or two. Yep. That's, again, almost the same. It's unreal. He, he was such a great. And, and still just, is a really. And I'm just player. looking here. You know, he 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 played 142 games and scored 81 goals for Liverpool. But mm-hmm. at Chelsea, when he moved to Chelsea, he he played 40 more games, but he scored about 40 less goals. Oh yeah, he was. <laughs> his his knees were so shot. Yep. Um, which I guess was a good thing for us because we got 50 million for him. So, <laughs> so we got one more question, and I want to. I'm curious to see what your guys' answer is on this. What team? Almost signed him before we did. Wait, you it was, mean, it, no, I didn't get it. You mean in 2000, before we signed him? Right, right before we signed him, a team literally almost had him. And Manchester United. There it is. I was going to get that, good. yeah. I was I thinking either United say... or like a, you know, like, like a Spurs or something like that, but okay. I was waiting for you to say Chelsea, and you went with the correct answer. It was it was Manchester United. Yeah, he was really damn close there, and they ended up coming here. So I guess that's history. But, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on. Um, again, I know it's hard with the timing. This is like a global pod. You guys are cool-ass people. You're good friends. But before we go, Leroy, I'll start with you. Any plugs? Uh, nothing much. I mean, you know, now it's the transfer period. That's why, you know, we are, we are able to, to take a breather from the current state of Liverpool and, and uh, you know, talk about, about Torres a little bit to reminisce a bit. But, you know, since it's the transfer season, just check out the community podcast. It should be out once every week or every two weeks or things like that. So if you're looking to, to widen your knowledge about, about certain players that, that may be linked to Liverpool or, or may be good fits for Liverpool, then I think that's a podcast to check out. Cool. And people don't sleep on Leroy. He's a young man. You guys don't know this, but he knows a fuckload more about you do than soccer slash football. Just throwing <laughs> that out there. And Shri, how about yourself? Nothing much happening or either on my friend. friend the, the podcast which Leroy talks about, the comedy, especially the one, uh, I think the 10 under 21 centre-backs. Is that correct, Leroy? Did I get that? 11, exactly, 11, right? 11, 11 under 21 yeah, centre-backs. With Dave Hendrick, that's outstanding to listen. It's I think very good. Yeah. That's one of the best podcasts I've actually listened in recent time. That's one and the latest episode of the Desi podcast. If you just want to forget your worries, just listen, just have fun. Listen to it, especially a huge shout out to Cam Branch on that one. The way he says, yeah. Phil, that's worth listening to. So that's the plugs from my side. Awesome. Well, to all AI listeners, everybody around the world, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. And for myself, I will look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thank you all.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 to get 20 20, to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/spoken today. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 